Welcome to the Reality Check Podcast. I'm Zachary Phillips. In today's episode, I want to share with you what I learned from grappling for 24 hours straight. So as most of you know, I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which is basically a form of grappling similar to wrestling, but you've also got submission locks and chokeholds and all that sort of stuff. If you've watched the UFC and you've seen them fight on the ground and go for like chokes and they tap the person out, that's basically what I'm training. So about five days ago, I had the absolute pleasure of attempting something that I've been wanting to do ever since I was six years old, and that was a 24-hour training session. Um, this experience was quite quite intense, and I want to sort of outline the the lessons that I've learned and the, the, the process and the lead up and the recovery from it, but it's one of the things that I've been wanting to do my entire life, and I'm so happy to be able to sort of tick that off the bucket list and go, yes, I managed to train for an entire day continuously. So the first thing is, well, why? My why is, there's a few reasons. One of them is, ever since I was six years old, when I was first started karate, the people in the gym were talking about this idea of a whole day of training as this sort of massive learning, massive physical challenge, and almost like a spiritual experience. And I guess from such a young age, it sort of stuck with me. I sort of, you know, let that idea go until maybe five, five or so years ago when I heard about people doing it for a different martial art. And I'm like, man, I would love to do that with what I'm doing now. And when I found this one that just came up, I jumped on it. So it's sort of like ticking off a long time box. But the other reason I enjoyed it was, or that I wanted to do it was to prove that to prove that I could push myself to an extreme level. I, I already trained quite a lot, maybe two to three times per day on average. So I'm fairly fit, but even so, training continuously for 24 hours was quite a challenge. I've never done a marathon or a sort of a prolonged session of continuous physical exercise. And I figured this would be a good way to jump into that. So just to sort of um, break down what it actually involved, this was this grapplethon was basically a 24-hour continuous session um, held at Renegade MMA, and over the 24 hours there were 15 lessons, which each, each consisted of 15 minutes of instruction, 30 minutes of drilling, and 15 minutes of positional grappling, and the remaining time was left to free training. So in all, I basically had three and a half hours of instruction, seven and a half hours of drilling, and 11.5 hours of rolling. And I did about half an hour of yoga at the end to sort of relax and calm down my body. During that free training time, I had the chance to roll with literally hundreds of people of all different ranks, ages, and experience levels. So suffice to say, my I feel that my abilities have gone up. I feel like I've learned I've learned more than in that day than I learned in you know the prior six months because it's such an intensive experience. And and I'll get into what I learned as a general sort of thing about myself. Then I'll get into what I learned from a jiu-jitsu perspective, as well as I'll cover the recovery and sort of the things that I'll do to prep and the unexpected things from there. So the general takeaways, first off, if you're going to do anything like this, first of all, be prepared. So I wasn't able to find anyone that had done a 24-hour jiu-jitsu session, but I figured that marathon training or ultra-marathon training would be a similar sort of approach. 
So I looked into what they did and sort of followed similarly to what they do with their dieting and their pre-training and all that sort of stuff, you know, carbo loading the day before, all of that sort of stuff. But I wanted to be prepared and sort of knew what I was coming into. And if my idea is that if I can't find someone that's already done it, I'll find the closest thing too. So I looked on subreddits for ultra marathons, marathons, and your first marathon. And the idea for those was basically that they're attempting something fairly physical, something that they, you know, would be a challenge and would go for a prolonged time. The second thing I would suggest that would be like a general takeaway would be to know why you're doing it. Now, I know that sounds obvious, but if you just jump into something that's quite strenuous without a real solid grasp of why you're wanting to do it, it'll get quite easy to stop. However, for me, like I previously said, there were some real real strong reasons as to why I wanted to do it. So knowing those reasons why enabled me to keep thinking back to those reasons and focusing back on it. The final general takeaway was to expect people to doubt you. So I talk about this with a lot of the different stuff I talk about, but most people can only really see the world through their own perspective. So they will doubt for one that you can do it, probably because they couldn't do it themselves or they don't think they could, or they will suggest easier or different things as a matter of trying to help you or to protect you or to to sort of calm you down from your aspirations. Now, whilst I do take on the advice of other people, I choose who those other people are. So for example, my coach, my partner, and the people close to me that I know know me and know my limits, I'll listen to them. So if I suggest something like this to them and they are all like, oh, you can't do it, or that's that's a bit crazy, then I might reconsider. But if I share these aspirations or these ideas with random people online or sort of just the general acquaintances in my life and they provide that doubt, I typically tend to ignore them. I was told on more than one occasion by most people that I was crazy and I guess I probably am, but now that I've done it, I get to say that, you know, you're only crazy until you're successful and then you become inspirational. And for me, it's, I've already seen that people are, people from the gym have started to suggest that they want to do it with me next year. And it's sort of inspired me to do more myself. So I want to do a marathon later in the year and do more of my own stuff because I just left feeling like, man, there are no limits. You know, the only limits that you set are the ones that you set yourself. Everything else can be overcome if you did it, if you're dedicated enough, if you're consistent and if you're prepared enough. The next bit I want to get into is the jiu-jitsu specific takeaways. And if you don't train Brazilian jiu-jitsu or another grappling art, you might want to skip this part. Although there are life lessons that I learned in relation to jiu-jitsu, I feel apply to the whole of, you know, life and sort of any sort of creative or expressive or challenge. There's sort of life lessons that I gained from this, but I was taught through what I experienced on the mats. The first one was that fundamentals win the day. Now, what I mean by that is, is that as the day as the day progressed, I got weaker and weaker and weaker. I was unable to perform most of the techniques that I'd only recently learnt, and any of the fancy techniques I just couldn't do. So what I had to start relying on was basically going back to those core principles, the fundamentals, the things that I know work and have been proven to work. Might be, might be a bit of a more boring game, but it was I was able to keep doing that sort of stuff for a prolonged period of time. It was ingrained in my memory, so under pressure, I was able to use it. And similarly onto this, my opinion is that fancy techniques don't work. 
whenever I tried or someone tried on me some sort of crazy technique that was a bit fancy and a bit sort of whimsical, I was able to shut it down and people were able to shut my fancy techniques down, particularly after a lot of fatigue. But what I found interesting was even hours and hours and hours into it, when a fancy technique was tried on me, if it was done with, with any sort of slight opening, the, the fundamental pressure that I was able to apply back was able to shut that technique down. So it's really shown me that, you know, trust the basics, trust the fundamentals and make sure you drill and drill and drill and drill whatever you're trying to commit to. The third thing that I learned was to focus on principles rather than techniques. And I look at this in general life. I like to look at the overall concepts of the principles rather than the specific technical details. That's just the way I think. Other people are very technical and they can go through all of those parts. But for me, I like to think of in general, the ideas of the overall things that sort of work. And I found that as I lost the ability to perform techniques, as I fatigued, as I got weaker, I could only really think in terms of principles because my ability to pull off a specific technique, just I lost it. So the principles that I was trying to repeat in my mind when I was grappling was where are my limbs? Where's my body positioned? Is my weight evenly distributed? Are my arms tucked in like T-Rex arms? When I'm on the bottom, I tried to be a ball. When I was on top or when I could, I tried to isolate their limbs. I wanted to always move to attack the back. Try to control the hips when I'm passing guard. I wanted to maintain a good posture and disrupt their posture. And I wanted to always be constantly calm and maintain a steady flow of breath. Like I said, none of those are techniques, but in my opinion, if you give those principles to a new person, they'll be able to grapple a lot more effectively than if you gave them the same amount of just basic techniques. If you say to someone, hey, try and stay on top and stay heavy, control the hips, you know, no weight, put as much weight on the person and not on the mat, those sort of things, that person is probably going to be a bit more successful than the person that you say, here is this specific guard pass. Without all of the conceptual understandings, they won't understand why. And even if they do get that pass, they'll quickly lose it because they're not sure how to hold it and they're not sure what they're doing. But that's just my opinion. The final jiu-jitsu specific thing that I learned was to always be on top. Now, my coach, John Donahue, and a bunch of other high-level instructors that I've watched instructionals from, for example, Ryan Hall, always suggest that being on top is better than being on the bottom. But the jiu-jitsu scoring system suggests that it's even. When you're in guard, top or bottom is even. However, over an extended period of time like I faced, being on the bottom just was unsustainable. I was constantly battling both the person and gravity. What I soon realized is that as soon as I touched, touched hands, touched knuckles and went, ready to roll, I had to fight for that top position. Because once I got on top, I could sort of rest and control the person and sort of just recover a little bit during the roll. Because I was going for like literally 24 hours continuously, I had to make sure that I was resting as I was rolling. And when I was on the bottom, I was constantly under pressure. I was constantly fighting. It was just so hard to work. And even from the bottom, I usually play a deep half game. But if I'm on the bottom and I'm sort of picking them up and moving them around and going underneath them, that's a lot of energy. And what I find is that I'll sub them off my back. But let's think about that. If I sub you off my back, then the match restarts. And now I'm back on the bottom again, fighting for another sub. Whereas if I fought for the top position, controlled them, and then tried to stop them from the top, I'm actually able to rest a little bit more and get that sort of cardio back up. From there, I want to talk about mind frame. And this is more of a general thing, but it definitely relates to this experience, but I'm going to take it on board to relate to a lot of different experiences moving forward. For example, when I attempt a marathon or other similar, similar physical events, and also when I put myself under stress with 
for example, releasing my next book and some other stuff like that. So MindFrame was a massive thing for me. I, I wanted to make sure that I was well-trained prior to the event. And like I said, I'm doing about two to three exercise sessions on average per day. In the mornings, I'll either do a run or weights. And at night, I'll do two hours of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And on Sundays, I would do all of it. I would do weights, I'll run, I'll add a 30-minute swim into that, do the Jiu-Jitsu session and a 30-minute yoga session. And that sounds like a lot, and I guess it is, but I do it for two reasons. One, I wanted to prepare, and two, a lot of exercise is great for my mental health. But the swimming is something that I want to hone in on. I, I'm not a very good swimmer. I feel like it's drowning moving forward. But I wanted to practice swimming and getting better and better at swimming over time because I, I realized that that's putting me out of my comfort zone. And if I can sustain a prolonged period of time, for example, in the pool out of my comfort zone, I might be able to do it on the mat for a 24-hour session. And the same thing in, in general with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I always like to follow what my first coach was saying to me, and he basically said, train your weakest point first and get it to be your strongest. Um, and that way, not only are you building yourself up, but you're used to performing under pressure and in a compromised position. So when I'm rolling, I'll try to get into a position where I'm working my weakest points. The next thing I want to suggest is goal setting. So I've already talked about it. I've had this goal for, for years, but I also made sure to tell everybody online and close to me that I was going to attempt this. Basically, I put myself accountable to them. Why did I do this is, well, if no one knew and I was just doing it for myself, of course I would have that internal motivation, but I could always quit and try again at another time. I didn't want to have that excuse. So by putting it out there, by making myself accountable to other people, I was able to put myself in the mindset to succeed and to prove to them and to myself that it can be done. The next thing I want to mention in terms of mindset is motivational speaking. There's a album out by a group called Fearless Motivation. Um, and if you look up their Fearless Motivation Ultimate Hits and just listen to it, it's a bunch of motivational speaking that I feel like I listen to it every time I work out and I feel like just listening to these amazing words in my mind coming in over and over and over again has really, really improved my mental state and given me a bunch of sort of trigger words to just keep coming back to, keep coming back to, keep coming back to, that when I was in a bad mental state, when I'm sort of down, when I was struggling, I thought of these words and I was able to push through the barrier and keep going. Another one I want to suggest to you is Jocko Willink's Psychological Warfare. Similar idea, there's a bunch of them that are on there about exercise, motivation, procrastination, all of these things, and I've been listening to that on sort of repeat as well. I'll link to both of those in the show notes so you can check them out, but I highly suggest you get on board with those things. Start listening to them, and you'll find that they'll, they'll start to change how you think about performance, winning, motivation, all that sort of stuff, so get on to that. The last thing I want to suggest in terms of mindset was meditation. I do a daily practice of eight minutes of mindfulness meditation every day, and that really came in handy during this session because I was able to detach from the pain and the thoughts and the negativity and the doubt and just be there in the moment, focus back on my breath, back on what I was doing, back on the lesson, and sort of let go of that pain. There was actually one real interesting thing that I noticed doing all of this, and it was the ability of my mind to overcome pain that arose during the session. So about a week before this session, I was deadlifting and I injured myself and it was quite, quite painful. I had to actually stop the exercise session and I couldn't, I couldn't lift. I actually haven't done any deadlifts or squats since because it just hurt too much. That was sort of recovered by the time the grapple came around. But 
during the grapple-a-thon, I sat down to have a quick snack, and I sat down stupidly on a comfortable couch. And it was only for about maybe three to five minutes that I was eating my food. But that was enough time for my body to relax into the softness of the couch and my back pain to flare up significantly. It flared up to such an extent that I was very seriously contemplating pulling out. But I remembered my meditation, so I decided to do a quick meditation and focus on sending healing, for lack of a better expression, to my muscles. I wanted to try and relax it because if you think about what inflammation is, it's your brain telling your muscles or your muscles telling your brain, I'm not sure which way, to tense up to protect itself. So I was meditating with the thought of relax, be calm, you're safe, the muscles can relax. And to my surprise, very, very quickly, within five minutes, the pain dissipated. And, you know, even now, five days later, that area is completely pain-free. Um, my whole body is sore from, you know, delayed onset muscle soreness and all that sort of stuff still. But that area of my back, even now, is still calmer and not just not in pain. I don't know if it's a placebo effect or, you know, what's happening there. And to be honest, I don't really care. Why I don't care is because it worked. I'm I'm all about, you know, practicality and what works. So in the future, I'll be doing a similar approach to, to be able to push through injuries and that sort of stuff. Now onto nutrition and recovery. So, like I said, I considered this to be a marathon-like event, so I tried to carbo-load and eat a bunch in the days beforehand. On the day, I made sure to drink a bunch of hydrolytes and sort of, you know, hydration-based fluids. I read that water isn't that great because it, it only is water. You need to have the salts and the sugars and all that sort of stuff that you're losing in your sweat put back into you. Water has the tendency to just pass straight through you. It's better than nothing, but if you can it's better to choose something like a coconut water or Gatorade. So I ended up going through about four liters of Gatorade, sorry, two liters of Gatorade, four liters of coconut water and some fruit juice as well. And if I could do it again, I would probably take about eight liters of coconut water and about eight liters of Gatorade because I'll tell you what, I needed it. In terms of what to eat during, I, I packed a bunch of small treats, for example, um, glucose jelly beans and protein bars, fruit and like a sort of beef jerky strips, basically. I wanted to have high-protein, high-sugar things that were small and easy to consume. Throughout the night, someone ordered um, fast food, and I ended up eating one potato cake. And I instantly regretted my decision because I realized I was keeping on rolling, and that oil and grease and stuff wasn't going to sit well. Other people at the gym ate sort of half a pizza, and they were sort of laid out and sort of very, very upset in their belly after that half pizza. was like, glad I didn't partake in. Had I do it again, like I said, it would just be completely fluids, hydrating fluids, and small, quick, sugary or proteiny snacks. After the after the event, I made a mistake of eating a lot of food. I ate so much food, in fact, that it made me nauseous. Now, I was so nauseous that I was contemplating going to the hospital because I wasn't sure if the nausea was due to the food or due to the 24-hour exercise event. I, I felt so sort of nervous and sick that I was concerned that I had done some serious damage. However, I decided to just wait it out and sort of sip some water and just sort of relax about it, and the nausea started to dissipate. So once again, I would, if I do it again, when I do it again, I would eat. Soon, as soon as the event was over, I would eat, but I would make sure to eat a small amount of food and light foods and sort of build myself back up. 
over the few days after the event, I was felt quite weak and quite gaunt and quite, quite just out of it. I tried to eat a bunch more food than I usually would just to replenish and regain some of those lost stores. I didn't worry about tracking what I was eating. I didn't worry about the fat, sugar, protein, carb split or anything like that. I just ate as much as I wanted to to fill up. In terms of how much energy I lost, I did the maths. It was basically somewhere in the region from 10 to 15,000 calories of energy expenditure, and I ended up losing over two kilos, and I visibly looked smaller just following the event. The, the last thing I want to address was um, the unexpected challenges that I faced. The main one was that as the night progressed, my gi and the top, the clothes that I was wearing were quite chafing. I knew that runners get chafed feet and sometimes chafed chests and that sort of stuff. And I should have expected it, but I didn't. Basically around my belt line, under my arms and around my neck, towards the last four hours, it was just excruciating. Every time I moved, there was just like grinding against sort of roughed and raw skin. Had I had I realized I would have brought, say, moisturizing creams, bepanthin, you know, antiseptic creams, those sort of stuff, to sort of just rub in and regularly do it. I also stupidly didn't bring a change of gi tops. I bought clothes to change underneath, which I did, but I once again would have brought a second or third change of gi just to keep it a bit fresher. So yeah, that's basically what I've learned for grappling for 24 hours straight. I'm definitely going to do it again. It more than anything, like beyond the amazing advancements that I feel my jiu-jitsu game has gone through, I've learned so much about myself that that there truly are no limits. I, I I remember thinking as I was going through like, you know, prior to this event, three or four hours of exercise straight seemed like a massive accomplishment. But because I set the limit of 24 hours, the first five to eight hours just went by in a flash. I looked at the clock and it was already five hours later. And I'm like, wow. And what that taught me was that when we limit ourselves, we really when we when we put limitations on ourselves, we set like sort of the boundary of our performance levels. And I can, I can prove it to you very quickly. Go down right now and do ten push-ups. And you know, do the do those ten push-ups right now, or just think about it if you if you can't do them. And you'll find that the tenth push-up is actually quite hard. You know, the ninth and the tenth one you're struggling because you're getting to that end time when you're thinking about ending. But if I had have instead told you to do 20 push-ups, you would have smashed past those first 10. Now, you're exactly the same person. The only thing that's different is, is the absolute limit of how many push-ups I told you to do. Try it. Try do 10. Try do 20. Try it on someone else. Ask them first to do 20 push-ups, then ask them to do 10 push-ups. And you'll see them struggling on the last one, even though they were able to double it the first time. That concept applied to a much, much, much longer time period. The second thing I, I realized about myself was that I'm able to keep going under pressure. You know, it it got quite a lot harder and harder and harder and harder, but because I had a goal that I was committed to achieving, the pain was almost inconsequential. The the weakness, the 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 stress on the body, the annoyance. It was there, I felt it, but it was secondary. I sort of went into this zone or this place that I've rarely been into before, but it's a place that I want to try and get back into, that I was sort of goal-driven, goal-directed. There was nothing else but me and the challenge that, that, I, that I was facing. 
that sort of level of focus and dedication and application was something that I wasn't 100% sure that I had. I feel somewhat like that when I get into a groove writing, but because this was so prolonged and such a long time, I felt it for so much longer. Um, and I, I suppose the final thing about that I, I sort of realized about myself is that I'm a lot stronger than I thought I was. I knew that I was physical, I knew that I was fairly fit, but this was on a whole nother level. And I sort of was able to prove to myself that I could do way more, way more than I could ever possibly think of. So if you are considering doing something like this, please make sure you've prepared, make sure you've got a reason why, make sure you've trained hard beforehand, and make sure that you've got someone there to take you to and from the event. I want to thank my partner, Maria, for bringing me there and back, because I tell you what, after the event, I was in no place to drive. Um, so from a safety perspective, have someone out there helping you out. And just, just, just be careful, because it's not something to just rush into and jump into. So thanks for listening, guys. And if you've got any questions or want to contact me, you can do so on social media. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Zach P. Phillips. Or you can do so via my website at Zachary-Phillips.com. And in the show notes below, I'll also link you to a blog post where I go into a lot more depth about what I learned from this experience of grappling for 24 hours. Thanks, guys.